I love the faith stories through the summer. It's always encouraging to hear what God's doing in people's lives. But at this point, I invite you to hear with me the word of God from 2 Samuel chapter 7, the first 17 verses. It says, When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But the same night the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. Now make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Psalm, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in his vision. Thus far, God's word. Thank you, Kevin Gartley, for reading the scripture this morning. And thank you for Lorraine for uh, sharing so meaningfully of your journey. Glad you saw the brunch sign. <laughs> We've seen it too. I just want to invite you to stand with me for a moment. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are this morning. We're grateful to sing the songs of praise this morning. We're delighted to hear the word of God. We're grateful for what you are doing in Lorraine's life and for bringing her and Maxwell and their family to be part of our fellowship. And Lord, you have great things in mind for them as they continue on. Pray your blessing upon their home. Lord, this morning we're here. It's summertime. But we just sense that you're saying some important things to us this summer, building up our faith and inviting us, Lord, to, to walk on a courageous journey with you. Lord, it would be easy to be distracted and to kind of just do our own thing. And, but, Lord, we, we are sensitive to your voice and to your call. And we don't want to miss anything that you have for us, Lord. And, 
As we look back over the years, we're so grateful that 12, 13 years ago, Lord, you began to pour into this church and you began to pour into those who were at the genesis of this congregation. And then year by year by year, Lord, you are, you are building a body here. And Lord, we're weak. We admit it. We're inadequate. We admit it. We need you. We need your vision. We need your heart. We need your courage. We need your strength. And so we invite you again this morning, Lord, wherever you find us this morning, however we have come to uh, this worship time this morning, whether we're feeling like I'm really struggling with something in my life, I'm really not sure I even want to be here. I've got issues that I'm, I've got to sort through. Whatever it is, Lord, would you just, would just open our hearts this morning to hear you, most of all, to hear you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. If you've uh, joined us uh, this summer and perhaps here for the, maybe the first time uh, or second time, uh, we're currently in a summer study series called Courageous Faith. And we've identified a few Old Testament personalities and we've been kind of sweeping off the cobwebs and maybe cleaning the lenses of our glasses in order to really appreciate the, the role that they played in their generation. And they really are amazing people. Uh, you, can, you, you just love them after you get to read about them and study. And people like Abraham, people like Jacob and Noah and Joseph and uh, Moses and Joshua and Caleb and uh, Gideon and Deborah last week. And uh, this morning, David, David. And I know that you believe what I'm going to say in the next sentence. I'm sure you will believe this. But I hope today the thought just burrows deep into your heart as you think of your future. So I know you believe this. Every individual has a purpose for living. Every individual has a purpose for living. Every one of us. No one that God brings to life on this earth is insignificant. I'm sure you believe that. The tragedy of all tragedies is that we should live and die having never found that purpose, that special God-ordained reason for serving our generation. You have, like no other person on this planet, particular contributions that you are to make to this generation. Can I just say it that way? Just throw it out there. You have, like no other person on this planet, particular contributions that you are to make to this generation. I mean, you may have some great dreams for your life, and I hope you do. Or it may be that you've never really given a lot of thought to that kind of perspective. I'm sure that God's dreams for you are bigger than your own, much bigger. Whatever it is that God is calling you toward, you are to discover that 
and you are to carry it out. And then when your twilight years come and your life is ended, you can be satisfied that you have served God and you have served his purpose with your life in your generation. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? A couple of weeks ago, a wonderful lady, 91 years old, wanted me to come to visit her in the hospital. She only has a very short time left on the planet. But we talked about her life, and uh, she, she was so eager to share about her life, and even more eager to share about her passing. She was so excited to meet Jesus and to be with him. Honestly, I've never talked to anybody in my life who is so excited to, just to pass beyond the veil into the next chapter of life. She's so excited. She's genuinely excited to see Jesus and to be with him. Absolutely ready to go. And so she asked me if I would do her funeral service. And of course I said yes. And when I'm asked to do a memorial service, my starting point is to know what I know, is to think about what I know about the person that has died. What do I know about them? What is the theme of their life? Can I, can I capture that in a word or two? And I've never told anyone before what I'm going to say at their funeral. <laughs> it's kind of weird to think of that you would. But in this case, I thought I would tell her. Not that I had it all worked out, but I said... I want to characterize your life as purposeful. And I want to speak on the theme of living our days with intentionality, with purposeful intentionality. Because I see that you have lived that way. She said, I haven't cried much during these days, but that makes me cry. She has done a good job. So when the twilight years come and your life is ended, you can be satisfied that you have served God's purpose with your life for the generation that he has placed you in. So just to help us along with that trajectory in life, I want us to think about what God said to David. So listen to these words. He said, I took you from tending flock, tending sheep in the pasture, and I selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you've gone. And I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. And he said, I will give you rest from all your enemies. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. How do you have a life that impacts this generation? What does it look like? Where do I begin? Every life is different, and we will all make unique contributions by the grace of God, according to how he has shaped us and made us and our personalities and where he's placed us. And it's so unique. It's so unique. Oh, to be God and say, she fits there and he fits there, and that's God. And how he has fueled us with kingdom passions. But I'd like maybe us just to see what we have in common. There's a lot of diversity. But what do we have in common? 
Well, first of all, cultivating a heart for God. That's what we have in common. I have become good friends with my cardiologist because he found out years ago that I had some blockage uh, in my heart. And uh, he and his surgeon friend got it unblocked somehow. And I'm so grateful because that was a long time ago and the oil flows very well and I'm so grateful for that. So when I get, go in to see him, we don't talk much about this anymore, but we, we've just got to be friends. So finally we say, well, we better talk about this a little bit so you can get paid. And on we go. I am becoming good friends with my father above because he also knows my heart. And he knows when my heart is opened and he knows when it's closed. Interesting how much meaning the word heart has come to have. You know, we say someone's good at heart. We learn things, we learn them off by heart, or we get into things, heart and soul. And if someone is courageous, we say, she has a heart of steel. Or if we want someone to show us a little compassion, we say, ah, oh, come on, have a heart. If we feel deeply attached to something, we might hum a few bars uh, from the old song, I left my heart in San Francisco. If a friend is unnerved about something, we encourage him to set his heart at rest. If we have a tremendous desire to achieve a certain goal, we set our hearts on it. When we take something very seriously, we take it to heart. So many nuances of the word. And when you meet God and you begin a new journey of faith through inviting Jesus Christ to take control of your heart, a whole new world opens up. We really mean that Christ becomes the leader of our lives because Jesus is the one who has come to this world and he is willing to give his life for us so, so he could take our sin and deal with it forever. So when you say yes to Christ, you're saying, forgive me, help me get started on a new road, and I give you my heart, my life. And God wants to cultivate our hearts as we follow him. That's his mission in us all through this journey with each of us. He wants to cultivate his heart in us, to look more like his heart. It's also the first step in helping us to impact our generation. Now, David was born about 10 years after Saul became king. He was born into a generation that was experiencing a great deal of turbulence. The people of Israel were drifting again, and their king, King Saul, was also drifting. The once humble king, you remember, who didn't think he could do the job, was no longer humble. And Samuel says to King Saul, your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. In other words, you're done. You're done. Another man will be chosen, although it took a considerable length of time before that began to happen. But the prophet said to Saul, God has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And those became the defining words of, for David. A man after God's heart. Now, we live in challenging times. The, the low oil prices in our world today 
are impacting a lot of people. I am not an economist. I am not a politician. I don't know all that is behind these low prices on a global scale. The OPEC nations seem to be intent to continue to operate at low prices, and that impacts all of us. And the instability of many countries in the world is impacting all of us. Greece, the Middle East countries. And sometimes as I read the paper and watch the news, it feels overwhelming. And then perhaps personal crisis in our own lives. These are challenging days. It was equally true in David's time. There was crisis all around. Israel was struggling to survive the constant threats of her enemies. And nothing has changed through the centuries for Israel. However, this sense of crisis and unpredictability of the times we live in can present an opportunity. I think it does in our day as well. It presents an opportunity for us. Did you know that the word crisis is also the same word for opportunity? The Greek word is the word kairos, and it means crisis or opportunity. It's a moment in time when there is something, hap something that is happening. It's a crisis, but could be an opportunity. And maybe we need to see the day in which we're living as, as the opportunity that God is presenting to us. And God, you see, needed someone to lead his people who had the Father's heart. He, had, he was looking for someone who had the Father's heart. God invites every one of us to a cause that is greater than ourselves, that is impacting our generation. It's 2015. It's a new day. It's a changing world. It's a culture that is undergoing seismic turbulence. And God has us on the scene. He has you on the scene. He has you on your block. He has you in your office. He has you in your factory. He has you at your YMCA. He has you in your university. And for us in this church, he has us. He has a church that is longing to impact our generation. We are incredibly blessed to be here, to be the church in the center of town. Like years ago, we are in the center of town. It's inspiring to be together as a body, continuing to hear our call to this community and always mindful that we're about our Father's heart. And that's why we're here. What about our Father's heart? Really nothing else. We're about saying yes to Him, Father, wherever you lead us. Having hearts that follow the heart of God. Now you must not get the idea that David was some superman. If you've read the story over and over again, you say, I don't get it. Uh, he wasn't a superman. We look up to him but he was very human and he made lots of mistakes and he was far from perfect. But what did God see in him that he loved? He saw a sensitive heart, first of all. He was tuned into God and somehow God 
just really could connect with his heart. He, and David really came to value God in his life. And the relationship became natural and meaningful. And as David got to know God, he only wanted to please him. There were no locked doors. There were no hidden closets in his life. There was nothing swept under the rugs. I'm sure whenever David grieved the heart of God, he was restless until he got it settled. He had a sensitive heart. And when he heard God say, go in that direction, as best he could, he went in that direction. And perhaps that's a place for all of us to start or to continue cultivating our hearts for God. Sensitivity. God, be at home in my heart. Be at home in my life. Everything is yours. I want my life to be natural and genuine as I walk with you. I don't want to compartmentalize that Sunday's my God day. And the, now the rest of the week is whatever. Every day is my Father's day. All of life is under his sovereign umbrella. What did God see in David's heart? A sensitive heart. Maybe a good day to say again, God, be at home in my life. Every day. Now secondly, humility. It's quite a story, isn't it, of God being on a surveillance mission in the home of Jesse. Uh, you, you know the story. And God rejected all those other sons, young men that looked like they might fit the bill, tall, tall, dark, and handsome. But in reality, God chooses a young guy that didn't even get called to the meeting. David is out in the field and he's tending the sheep. But the Lord saw in David a heart that was completely his. And the boy was faithfully keeping his father's sheep. And God saw humility. He saw a servant's heart. Psalm 78, 70 says, He, God, also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. He took him from the sheepfolds. He took him from the pasture. It's as if God is saying, I don't care about all that slick public image business. Show me a person who has a right heart and is humble, and I'll give you the image that he or she needs to make a difference in their generation. Is the person a servant in their heart? Humble and authentic. If I want to impact my generation, it starts with humility. Lord, I don't stand above my generation. I don't condemn it. I'm deeply troubled by the things of our generation. But I don't condemn our generation. I don't stand above it. And I don't think I'm better than my generation. And I don't stand under it. It is filled with sadness and tragedy and distortions of God's intent. But hopefully I come alongside of my generation. How can I serve my generation? How can I serve my neighbor? How can I serve my family? What can we do as TCC to become servants to our community? God looked at David out in the fields and the foothills surrounding Bethlehem, keeping his father's sheep, faithfully doing his job, and God passes his approval on this young man. And you know, a servant doesn't care who gets the glory. A servant has just one goal, and that's to make the person he serves look better. And a servant doesn't want his master to fail. 
A servant doesn't care who gets the glory so long as the job gets done. So while David's brothers were off in the army fighting big, impressive battles, David was all alone keeping the sheep. He was okay with that. He had a servant's heart. But God was training him. God was training him. And this is a reminder this morning of servanthood. How does God want you to be a servant? And if you will serve wherever God wants you to, and if your heart is humble, it's a wonderful place to, for God to meet you and to grow you and to lead you into a journey towards a purposeful generation impacting life. And how did God help David cultivate his heart? Well, first of all, he put him in a place of solitude. I mean, he has the perfect job out in a lonely field caring for his sheep. David needed to learn life's major lessons all alone before he could be trusted with responsibilities in public. And you know, if you read the account of the Apostle Paul, it was very similar for him. After his Damascus Road experience and he came to faith in Jesus Christ, actually, if you read the account, he went off and he was in a, he was in a desert time alone. I can't even recall how long, six months or so. He was alone. And it was there that God was doing some amazing things, teaching him in the quietness and in the solitude. There's something about solitude that is so good for us. Usually we have noise uh, all around us. And if you walk down the street or if you just drive down the street, how many people do you see? They, they're all attached. They're, they're earphones. It, it's just one after another. We're all clued into something that, that we're listening to. Solitude is one of the teachers that God uses. And if you say, it's really hard to find solitude in my life, I would tend to agree. It takes a whole lot of intentionality to find space where you can be alone, where you can listen, where you can slow the RPMs, where, where you can retreat. But solitude is a place where the voice of God becomes clearer. Can you find some space and some time to carve out some solitude so you can better hear the voice of God? Secondly, he put him in a place of obscurity. Sometimes God trains us when we're out of the limelight so we can handle the limelight should it come our way. Men and women of God, servant leaders in the making, are often in unknown places. <clears throat> they are unseen. They are unappreciated. They are unapplauded. Maybe you've come to church this morning and honestly, you're in a bit of a desert place. You can see that as a desert place. It's like, ah, oh, this is awful. Or you can see it as a training time and you can say, this is valuable. I'll try to get this. We were at a leadership conference last week when the subject of feedback came up. And most authors write about giving feedback, closing the loop, from the perspective of training the one who gives the feedback. You train the one who gives the feedback so that they're effective in giving feedback to whoever it is. But actually, they've discovered that after training the one who gives the feedback, nothing really significantly changed. 
And a study was done over a long period of time that nothing changed. But they discovered that more effective results happen when you train the one who is receiving the feedback. Whoever thought of that? So if you have an open heart to receive the feedback, you will grow. Now sometimes you have to filter it and run the feedback through your own grid, but if you completely reject feedback, you won't grow. So maybe you're in a place of obscurity right now. You wonder, where in the world is life going? And it can be a good place to be. It, it might be an obscure place. But here's a place to say, God, train me in this place. God, teach me in this place. God, prepare me in this place. God, use me in this place. And use this time in my life so it's not, oh, what a waste. This is what I need to do. I need to receive the feedback that comes through obscurity. There are things here that God wants to teach me. And then thirdly, he put him in a place of routine. This is often where we learn to be men and women who seek after God's heart. There aren't a lot of shiny buttons to admire. It's just same old, same old, same old. And for a period in David's life, that was, that was his life. But he was faithful in what was on his plate day after day after day, looking after the same old sheep. I was uh, walking early one morning <clears throat> last week, and I came by this pond, well, this week, and uh, there was this beautiful white swan there. And there were other, white, uh, other ducks around, <clears throat> and they were just having a nice time. I came by the next day, and the swan was still there. I thought, what a faithful bird. It is committed to this place and to the birds around her. I came back the next morning, and that white swan was still there. And I was amazed. That swan is so committed. There she is again. And I came back the next day, and she was still there. So I decided to talk to her. It's early in the morning, and no one's around. They won't think, what is this guy doing? He needs help. He's talking to the birds. Well, I was amazed. There was no response. So I waved, hello, hello, white swan. Good morning, white swan. How are you? And then to my great embarrassment, I realized I have been duped. This is not a real swan. This is a decoy. Hello, 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 hello. And she doesn't flinch. She has no idea I'm there. She or he is a decoy. Every day, every day, the same routine. I was so impressed with this. It's routine, but committed. This is a committed swan. Now, if she had been real, I wanted to compliment her for being faithful and committed. She seemed to be so committed to her situation. So if God has you in this seemingly menial, insignificant, routine, unexcited, uneventful, daily tasks of life, it may be extremely valuable. You are not a decoy. You are the real thing. And this is astounding training. Receive it as such. We have a couple of pilots in our congregation that I know of, maybe more. 
I read the other day of one pilot who said that flying is nothing more than hours and hours and hours of monotony punctuated by a few seconds of sheer panic. And that's probably true, eh, pilots? But the monotony is pretty important to know how to handle the few seconds of sheer panic. And God trains us through being faithful, just constant, endless hours of routine as you learn to be a man or woman of God with nobody else around, nobody else who seems to notice, nobody else who even seems to care. Maybe you're in a place of routine right now. Stay faithful. Stay open. Trust God for His timing. He's doing something through the routine. And then fourthly, He put him in a place of uh, reality. Where does God have you in your heart preparation process? You may feel like you're out in the pasture with David. Maybe you feel like you're out in left field somewhere. But it's not a bad place to be if God's working on your heart and if you're listening to his voice. And sometimes we don't even realize that God has us on hold. And maybe the dreams that we have for our lives don't get fulfilled instantly. God gives you a dream on one day, but he doesn't fulfill it the next day. So be patient. One day, David's father, Jesse, sent him on a little assignment to take some food to his three brothers who were fighting in the Israeli army against the Philistines. And you know the story. Goliath is the Philistine champion, and he's an imposing man if you ever saw one standing over nine feet tall in the right corner wearing more than just red trunks. He's Goliath from Gath. He's huge. And Goliath from Gath was a shouter. He shouted every morning for 40 mornings. This huge bellow across the canyon every day. Choose one man come to the, come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you'll be our slaves. And that wrecked the day for King Saul and his whole army. I mean, it wrecked every day. They heard this for 40 days, and every day they shook in their boots at the thought of anyone fighting Goliath. David had no idea that this particular morning his life would be impacted forever. He just went to deliver some bagels for his brothers. But in the process, he heard the shout of that giant. And honestly, it surprised him that everybody was so intimidated by that shout. I mean, it was his first time to hear the shout. Really, it made David mad. It made him say in his heart, who does this big bully think he is? He can't talk about that, our God that way, not our God. He can't talk about our nation that way because God is the God of our nation. And I guess you can never predict a day. They all look pretty ordinary until one day you find yourself in the middle of something that you didn't ask for. And David, for him it changed the rest of his life. And you know the story of how David took out the giant. And Goliath was no big deal. Why? Because David had been killing lions and bears while nobody was around. He'd been facing reality long before he squared off against this public figure, before he was out in the public arena against Goliath. It was only because of David coming to know the Father's heart that he was able to handle the pressure situations of his day. And you see, friends, real pressures, intimidation, Giants in your life, they're handled. 
through the cultivation of the heart. Sensitivity, humility, obscurity, routine, solitude. And all of this is part of the formation process as God helps fashion our hearts to be those that look something like his. In order to impact our generation. Now let me just fast forward you to the twilight years. Did I mention every individual has a purpose for living? Every one of us, we all have a purpose for living. It's clear that David had a great purpose. But let me just swoosh you to the closing days in David's life. It's in First Chronicles 28. And David is reflecting on a full life, a very full life. He's coming to the end of his days. What does he think about? What do you think about when you come to the end of your life? He thinks about what God has allowed him to do in his life. He thinks about what God has allowed him to be part of. And he also reflects upon something that he wasn't able to be part of. It's there too. And he thinks about his impact upon his generation. I think that's probably normal. He has a little talk with his leadership and he assembles them together. Probably just not a little talk, probably 500 people. And he stands to his feet. I'm sure he's pretty wobbly. And he says, it was my desire to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. He said, I made the necessary preparations for building it, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. God said, no. You can't build the temple. I think David was deeply disappointed, but gratified to know that his son would be the one to build it. But listen to what he says in the next verse. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from all of my father's family to be king over Israel forever. You can take that slide off. What is God doing here? He is, he is focusing on what God did allow him to do. It's so easy for us to be disappointed, to be distraught over a frustrated desire that we forget the things that God has given us, the good things that he has accomplished through our efforts and through our hands. And during the closing years, and days of his life, David didn't focus on what didn't happen. He focused on the good things that God had given him. So can I just say this? As we get older, many of us see that some of those great hopes and dreams
are never going to be realized. I'm feeling it for you somehow. I'm not feeling it for me. I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's a dream. Some contribution that you would make to humanity. Maybe it was a certain career that you just longed to be part of. Maybe it's a desire for romance in, in marriage. Maybe it's a hope for something in your life that you've had to live with for years. Whatever it is, you may now recognize that's never going to happen. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But you, like David, find satisfaction in what God has allowed you to do. And David basically says, I just want to say thanks to God for all the things that came my way. And I choose to focus on that. Not the one thing that I wasn't able to be part of. You see, we can live the last years of our life swamped by guilt or overwhelmed by failures of the past. We can let that destroy us or we can say by the grace of God I did the best I could with what I had and I claim his promise that somehow he'll use my life my efforts for his greater glory. So can I conclude where I started? Every individual has a purpose for living. Every one of us. Every individual has a purpose for living. Every one of us. And you have, like no other person on this planet, particular contributions that are you are to make to this generation. Where do you start? Where do you live out of? Where do you live out of? You live out of a heart that is growing in likeness to God's heart. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, in the depths of our hearts, we choose, we choose to make a difference. We choose to be generation impactors. Clearly, 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 we are distracted. It takes so much focus and so much intentionality so that we don't drift. Lord, as a church, you've called us to this community. Lord, and we've come to love this community. We've come to love our generation. Sometimes we're puzzled about how to best minister to our generation. And so we need to look closely to you for your word, your voice. We hear your call to keep going. And Lord, we want to keep growing in the development of our hearts. Some among us today are in hard places, desert places. 
And Lord, I pray they will turn their desert into a garden by listening and growing and training and hearing your voice. You lead me and keep me. You lead me and keep me from falling. You carry me close to your heart. Lord, we thank you all the way our Savior leads us. In Jesus' name.